So it looks like everybody's football teams did well this weekend. Pinson, Locust Fort, Alabama, somebody else played it. Uh, oh, Auburn, everybody won, showed up, did well. I was laughing yesterday because I, I watched this little cartoon where it was talking about, and it's kind of silly, but it was talking about how we should be as fired up for church as we are for football, and, and we should. But then there was a guy who said, he said, well, I tried that, and they threw me out of the church. And uh, they said, well, what do you mean they threw you out of the church? And he said, he said, well, when it was over, I poured Gatorade on the preacher, and they told me to leave. So I want you all to get that fired up about church, but hold that Gatorade till next week when, when Jeff is back. So uh, Jeff sent me a message on Friday and said, hey, can you have something ready to go for Sunday? And so my answer to Jeff is always yes. And so we, uh, Friday night was Brittany's birthday party, and we went out to dinner, and then we went home, and about half the family came to our house. And I don't know if you know it or not, but we moved out of about a 2,500-square-foot house last year into a 1,200-square-foot house. And so before, I could have went upstairs to my office, and now there's no quiet spot in the house. And so I went to the bedroom, and started going through messages that, that I had ready. And every one that I went through, God said, not it, not it. And so I just kept going through messages. And, and I got to this one here, and, and uh, I was like, nah, this is, not, this is not it. And the Lord was like, yeah, that's it. And I was like, nah. And so I told the Lord, I said, we'll do it, because if you don't show up, we're all in trouble. So we're going to do this one um, about... Three or four months ago in the student ministry, we went through a series where we talked about what Jesus is because most of us have this concept of what Jesus is, but it's simply not biblical. Sometimes we get in these, these mindsets that, that the Bible just doesn't say that. So we, we went through this seven-week series where we broke down what Jesus is. And, and I've shared one of those before. We talked about Jesus as my best friend. And so today, we're going to talk about Jesus as a miracle worker. And so, the question that a lot of people ask is, is Jesus still doing miracles? Does Jesus still do miracles? And some of us believe that when you talk about walking on water and God talking through a burning bush to us and, and you talk about Noah and the ark and you say, well, well, those are good things that were 2,000 years ago, but, and that's a good Sunday school story, but does God really still doing those kind of miracles? And so we're going to break this down a little bit and talk about when, when we move out of the way and we do what God tells us to do, and then we start believing in Him for the unbelievable and expecting big things from Him, we're going to look at how that changes God's power in our life. So, so this message is, is titled, Jesus the Miracle Worker. If you're taking notes, this is Jesus the Miracle Worker. We're going to read, uh, if you got your copy of God's Word, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 1 and 2, and I'm reading from the message. It says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master plan, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches in the latest philosophy, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. Jesus and what he did. And then Jesus crucified. And so, 
the thing that jumps out to me in this verse is it says that he didn't try to impress us with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. And the world has all these philosophies that's not biblical. So you got all these guys on TV, you got these health and wealth, these prosperity preachers that are they're telling you all these things that's not biblical. And so we need to make sure that as we're, we're going through and, and we're standing on God's Word, we need to, this, this right here is what we need to make sure that we understand. Not what I tell you or what Jeff tells you. You need to know what this says. If you know what this says and you stand on it, you're fine. But if you start believing a bunch of philosophies that people tell you that aren't true, then you're going to be in, in trouble. So we need to stand on God's Word because this is the same yesterday, today, and it's going to be the same tomorrow. It's not going to change. So don't believe these philosophies that the world is bringing us. So we all have these, these different ideas about Jesus and miracles. And, and some of you think about those stories that I mentioned in the Bible, that those were 2,000 years ago. Maybe they're just not... They're not realistic anymore, that those things aren't still happening to you. Some of you might believe that those things happen, but just, God's just not doing them for you. You might say, I believe in miracles, but I don't think God's doing miracles for me. And so we're going to go back and look. When we're studying in the Bible and we're trying to figure out something, we always go back to the first mention of it. So we're going to go back to the very first miracle that Jesus performed, and we're going to break that down this morning. If you'll go with me in John chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it said, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and it says, Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, Hey, they got no more wine. She's sitting there at this wedding, and they run out of wine, and Jesus' mama goes, hey, he's God. He can fix this. So he, she says, hey, Jesus, they don't have any more wine. And so I want to talk about the importance of what that means because if we're talking about a wedding, and a wedding is this day where this, the, these expectations are high. Right? Have you ever watched the show Bridezilla's on TV? Like, expectations that are all-time high on a wedding day. And if you don't believe that, mess something up and look at the mother sitting on the front row and figure out if the expectations were real high because they are. That's a bride's dream day, and you don't mess that up. And so if we're looking back at this first miracle, do, do you think it was odd that... Jesus' first miracle was in this setting of such high expectations. His very first miracle was in a setting where the expectations were at an all-time high. And so, in, in the Jewish culture in those days, like right now for us, the wedding ceremony is kind of the big deal. In those days, the wedding ceremony wasn't really the big deal. It was the reception after that was the big deal. Sometimes they would go seven days in a reception. They would throw a feast. And so it was the big deal. So the fact that they just ran out of wine is a problem. And so we're going to look at this uh, and break it down that um, in Jewish culture they had this saying 
where it said uh, no wine, no joy. And so the wine for them was a symbol of lost joy at this wedding. That's what it represented. And so I just want to encourage you that mo- this morning that maybe, maybe you're here and you're living through something in your life that's got high expectations, but the joy's gone out of it. Maybe you're, you're in this job that had high expectations and the joy's gone from it. Maybe you're in a marriage with high expectations and the joy has left it. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that this morning and talk about the joy that this represented. See, in those days, they did three things. In the day, we kind of still do these three things. We're going to look at that. And the first thing is, is that we focus on feelings instead of faith. We focus on feelings instead of faith. In verse 3, they said the wine is gone. See, we allow our situations to be taken over by how we feel about them. We get caught up in something, and how we feel determines how that goes. And it's easy for us to do that because we want to be in charge. We want to know what's happening. And so, but God never called us to that. God called us to live by faith, not by sight. He didn't call us to live by what we can see. He called us to live by faith in Him. So He don't want us to live on feelings. He wants us to live on faith. I know. We take, the second thing we do is we take matters into our own hands. Did that strike a nerve or somebody? We take matters into our own hands. When God doesn't show up in the time frame that we thought that he should show up in, and he doesn't do the things that we thought that he should do, we get impatient, and then we take things into our own hands. The trouble with that is that it never works. It never works. Every time we take matters into our own hands, it just don't work. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15 through 18, it says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. And we look at that word repentance. That means that we turn from something and go in the other direction. So if we took things into our own hands, God has called us to turn from that and go back to Him and put our faith in Him. It says that our salvation is in repentance and in rest. And it goes on and says, In quietness and in trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. He told us to turn from what we're doing and do it the way He told us to do it and to rest and to be still and be quiet and listen to Him. But He goes on and says, You wouldn't have any of that. And it said, you said, no, we will flee on horses. Now, in the Bible, when they talk about horses, they're talking about our power, not God's power. So he says that we said, no, we'll flee on horses, and therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, and therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five, you will all flee away. It says, Till you were left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop or like a banner on a hill. What does that mean, a flagstaff on a mountaintop or a banner on a hill? That means that that we decided we were going to do it our way, and we ran so far away from what God called us to do that we're just out here by ourselves. We're stranded by ourselves because we didn't do things the way that God called us to do it. 
But the cool part is, is that no, he says, no matter this next verse, he says, no matter that we want to do things our way, and now we're stranded out here on our own, it says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He says, he will rise up to show compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for him. That's cool that he said, no matter the, the fact that we didn't listen to him, and we ran as far away from him as we could get, that he still wants to be gracious to us. So much so that it said he rose up to show us compassion. If you're going through something today and you find yourself stranded and alone, maybe it's time to turn around and come back to God. The next thing is, we exaggerate the negative. Don't we? Do we all? I mean, I know I do. I think we all exaggerate the negative. When things happen, we're busy telling God, hey, man, this thing at work is, it's got me messed up, and these people are doing this to me, and this is happening in my marriage, and we have all these things that we're running, and we're telling God about all these problems. We exaggerate everything that's negative. And we're telling God about our problems when we should be telling our problems about our God. So we got that backwards. In 2 Corinthians, he says, For no matter how many promises God has made, that they are yes in Christ and amen. He says, no matter his promises, the answer is yes. And that's hard for us sometimes because God's yes looks like a no. Sometimes his yes is just, it looks like a no to us. We have to go through some struggles to get to his yes. We have to go through some trials and some tribulations to get to his yes. And we don't understand that. It takes faith for us to serve God. Sometimes it takes a little faith to get through some of them no's to get to that yes. And those no's aren't really no's. They're just something we've got to go through to get to that yes. It's disguised as a no to us. There's things that, that we don't understand, but one day, one day we're going to get it. I have this, I got this thing that I think maybe when, when we get to heaven, we have all these things that, that right now we don't understand, things that happen to us in our life. And we're like, man, I don't know, I don't know what God was doing here. Like, you lo maybe you lost a loved one too soon, or, or all these things happen in your life, and you don't have answers for them, and you just... You want an answer, but you just don't know, and you can't understand why God did something the way he did. And I got this, this feeling like when we get to heaven, there's going to be this moment, and, and we're all going to go, oh, oh. We're going to get it. Like, it's going to make sense to us. So, what do we do when we're looking for a miracle? The question is, what are we going to do? And the first thing that we have to do is just do what Jesus says do. We've got to do what he says do. Getting back into our, our miracle, in uh, John chapter 2, Jesus' mother says to the servants, she said, y'all just do what Jesus tells you to do. And she tells the servants, she pulls them over, she says, listen, Jesus is about to speak. And, and she says, look, this brother's a little different, and I know what he's going to say. He's not going to make any sense to y'all. But just do what he tells you to do. 
So the question is, why did she have to tell him that? Why did she have to tell him that what he was about to say wasn't going to make any sense, but just to do it anyway? And the answer is because God is famous for doing things that we don't understand. He just does things that we don't understand. He's famous for doing that. If we look back, uh, the guy who was blind and his friend took him to Jesus to get him healed so that he could see. If you remember in that story, the guy takes him. And I'm sure if this guy is like some of us, most of us around here, when we're in something, we'll talk it up, right, guys? We'll talk something up. And I'm sure that this guy had been telling his buddy who was blind, look, we're going to take you to Jesus. This brother's going to lay hands on you and you're going to be able to see, right? And so, because he had seen Jesus heal other people by laying hands on them. So they get there and this guy goes in. And he didn't go in to say, hey, Jesus, this is my friend who's blind. Just do whatever you do and heal him. He didn't. He walked in there and said, hey, Jesus, lay hands on him. What did Jesus do? He didn't lay hands on him. He spit in his hand and made a mud pie and covered the guy's eyes with it, right? And so you're saying, well, Brad, why did he do that? You want to know why Jesus spit in his hand and made a mud pie? I don't know. I can't tell you. I don't know. And here's the thing. If you need to know that, you'll never get a miracle. If you need to know, you'll never get that miracle. It's hard to understand God, and if you have to understand Him, you'll never be in the right relationship with Him. Let me say that again. If you have to understand God, you'll never be in the right relationship with Him. He says in Isaiah, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We'll never understand the Lord. The problem with us is that we always try to understand God before we'll let Him work. We always try to understand what's happening before we'll let God show up and do what He does. The problem is that we're serving God from head to heart instead of from heart to head. If we filter God through our heads to our hearts, we can never get everything that He wants to give us. We have to under, understand everything then God can never be bigger than our brain. Our brain cannot handle the capacity of what God can give us. And if we have to understand it, He'll never be bigger than our brain to us. Can I tell you something this morning? I know all of us want to be in charge and in control of our lives. Can I tell you this morning that God's just bigger than you are? He is. He's just bigger than you. You can't limit Him to what you can understand. When we're looking for a miracle, the second thing that we have to do is focus on what God wants to do in us. Focus on what God wants to do in you. We tend to focus on the problem, but God takes that problem and He teaches us something in the middle of it. In John chapter 2, verse 6, it said, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. These washing jars, in those days, before you went into ceremony, you went and you had to wash yourself off, and there were guards standing there, and if you didn't do everything just right, you had to do it again because you weren't getting into ceremony until you were spiritually cleaned. 
and washed. And so if you did it wrong, you had to start over. And so God uses these water jars to turn water into wine. He used these washing pots, which was a symbol of dead religion, and he turned it into joy. We said earlier that, that the Jews had a saying that said, no joy, no wine, no joy. And so God takes this symbol of dead religion and turns it back into joy again. And so here, here in Pinson, there's this thing called a twofer. Y'all know what that is? A twofer. You get two for one. See, God, not only did he perform a miracle, but he taught them something in the process of it. And he wants to teach us things in the middle of our problems. As God does these things and he teaches us things in the midst of our troubles, I want you to think this morning and just ask God what it is that he's trying to tell you in your situation. Don't look at me like you're not in a situation because we're all in some kind of situation, I promise you. And so the question this morning is you need to ask God what it is that he's trying to teach you in that situation. He wants us to quit telling him about our problems and ask him what it is that he's trying to teach us. Because he is trying to teach us something. In 1 Peter, it says, In all this you greatly rejoice. Through now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven geniuses of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, all of us probably don't have this verse that says we're going to go through all kinds of grief and trials. It's probably not hanging on our refrigerator. It's not one of our top verses. But we're going to go through grief and trials. And we don't like it. And, and to be honest with you, most of us would probably get to heaven dumber than a box of rocks because we don't want to go through grief and trials. But God says we have to go through those for him to teach us something. And so, we, we struggle with that. We do. And we need to start asking God, what are you trying to teach me? The third thing that we have to do is believe the unbelievable. We've got to believe the unbelievable. In John chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he says, Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So the servants did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants knew who had drawn the water. They knew where it came from. And so he, it says he called the bridegroom aside. And so everybody didn't realize what had happened. The servants knew, but we got to believe God for unbelievable things. We just got to trust him. Don't limit God to the size of your brain. It's, it's easy to say, but we do it every day. We limit God to what we can understand. And we can't limit him to the size of our brain. Jesus looked at them and he said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And it's the same with us. Whatever your situation is, I promise you, you can't handle it on your own. You need God to show up. And he might teach you something that you don't want to learn in the middle of it. But he's got to show up. 
The fourth thing is that we need to expect God to show us his best. We've got to expect the best from God. We've got to expect God to do a miracle. Jeff mentioned earlier that, that we got together as one church for the first time. And, and we voted on, on assembling a team to, to make this merger complete. And we voted on buying some property. We voted to spend a lot of money that night. A lot of money. And, and I'm here to tell you that that meeting lasted 20 minutes. If that. It might not have lasted 20 minutes. I may be giving, am I giving us some extra. It lasted less than 20 minutes. That is a miracle. I promise you. That is a miracle. I mean, if we were voting this morning for Jesus to come back three, y'all would vote no. If that was too much, y'all send y'all's emails to J. Oates at Palmerdale Cross. But seriously, as we, as we start looking at this merger that's happening and things are coming, I just want to be, be transparent with you because I know that some of you have some questions and maybe some reservations. And if I stood up here and told you that I didn't have some questions or some reservations, I'd be lying to you. I would. But I've came to the realization that in this process that I'm going to do what Jesus says to do. I'm going to focus on what God wants to do in me. I'm going to believe for the unbelievable. I'm going to expect God to give us his best. I said I wasn't going to do that this morning, but I lied. I want to encourage y'all to do the same thing. Is there going to be some bumps in the road? Yeah, there's probably going to be some bumps in the road. But if you ask God to show him what he wants you to do, and ask him what he wants to do in you, and you believe the unbelievable and expect the best... It's got to work. So, maybe this morning you're here and you've got some other things going on. Maybe you've got things going on in your life that had high expectations and the joy's gone from it. So this morning, we're going we're to pray for those things. We're going to lift those things up in prayer. Some of you are here and, and maybe you need to put faith in God for the first time. Maybe you need to join this church. Whatever God's stirring up in you, you need to take care of it this morning. We're going we're gonna to pray for these situations before we dismiss. And, and I'm going to pray, and then uh, the band's going to come up, and, and they're going to play some music. And when they start playing, these altars are open. If you need to do business with Jesus, get up here and do business with Jesus. I'm going to be up here. Jeff's going to be up here. If you need to talk to somebody, get up here. Don't sit in that seat and just wander. God didn't call us to that. He called us to act on faith. So if he's stirring something up inside you, act on faith and get down here. If it made complete sense, it wouldn't be faith. It don't have to make sense to you. You just got to be faithful to it. If everyone would, go ahead right where you're at. The band's going to come up. Just bow your head and close your eyes where you are. And if you're here this morning and you got something going on in your life and you just need prayer about it, you got something happening, 
If that's you, nobody's looking around, slip your hand up so we can, Jeff and I can pray for y'all this week. Just slip your hand up right where you are if you got something. Got you, got you, got you, got you. God bless you. Got you, got you, got you, got you, got you. Hands up all over the room. So we're going to pray. And when I finish praying, these altars are open. If you need to get up here, uh, come on and do business with Jesus this morning. Father God, we, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for this word. Lord, I pray that you would let us apply it to our lives, Father. I pray that as, as we leave here, Lord, that we would seek after you and that we would do the things that you tell us to do, Father, and that we would seek what it is that you want to do in us, Father, that we would believe in you for unbelievable things and expect the very best from you. Lord, I just pray for each person here, the families that they represent. Lord, I just pray that as we leave here, that you would let us be a light into this dark world, Father, that we would cross the path of somebody who don't know you, that we may be able to share the gospel with them, Father. Lord, we lift you up and give you honor, praise, and glory. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.